0: It's uh, such a joy to be here with you, and uh, to be able to share the the, the word with you. Uh, I've I always loved being uh, with Show for Churches. I've had the joy of doing it quite a bit in the last little while. Uh, you guys, are incredible! Uh, I don't know if you know the awesome things that you you know the Lord is doing and stirring up in your congregations. I know sometimes it helps to have someone coming in from the outside to let you know how good you have it. And uh, so please do treasure what you have here. And, uh, and continue to be a blessing to these leaders as, uh, as I believe they are to you. Um, so uh, I've, I, I just spoke to Amana, and I know he shared about the feast last week, so it's going to be a bit of a repeat, but there's nothing wrong with repeats, uh, and we always trust God with his word. Man His word is so powerful, and so always happy to preach it whatever way it comes. And uh, and I do have another message. Maybe I'll share it in the evening service then. Uh, yeah, but anyway, just around the, the, the other feast, uh, around the communion table. Uh, all right, let me go, jump in because there's actually a lot to say and just a, a little bit of time. So I'm going to kind of go through it quickly if that's okay. Uh, well, it has to be okay. I've got the mic. <laughs> all right, so guys, uh, firstly... So we call them the the feast of the Lord or the uh, appointed times uh, of the Lord, which is found in, in uh, most of it is pretty much all of them are listed in Leviticus 23, right? So one thing that uh, you know often they they refer to as the seven feasts, but they're actually appointed times. Only three of them are are actually feasts where you feast and you and you eat. But they're actually called the Moedim or the the, the appointed times. And essentially what this means is like, you know, when you set up an appointment with a friend, hey, let's meet for coffee two o'clock on Tuesday. These are these moments where God said to his people, I am going to meet with you. I am going to meet with you. And God wasn't saying that he wasn't present with them in all the other moments and all the other times. But these were specific moments in time where God said, I will have a specific appointment with you. And they're called appointed times. And that's why they are important for us to take note of. Because also it's proclaimed here that it will be a statute for generations to come. And it says these are the appointed times of the Lord. And where God wants to meet with his people. And uh, so just a disclaimer off the bat is that I am not a Jew. All right, you do not have to be a Jew to celebrate these or to observe these. Uh, I am very much of the tribe of Zulu. Okay, <laughs> you know. However, I do believe that uh, I will be part of the redeemed when God has gathered all nations together uh, for His glory, as uh, Ro- uh, Paul writes in Romans 11 that uh, as Gentiles were grafted in as as the wild olive uh, tree or uh, wild olive branch into the into the olive branch. So, uh, so these are very relevant for us as well as believers today, but uh, I'll share a bit more about that as we continue. So the first one, funnily enough, doesn't fall under the seven, but just off the bat, this one has to do with the the weekly uh, bit, which is the Sabbath. I I believe that was shared about uh, in the beginning. And again, the Sabbath is like that weekly moment where God sets an appointment. Uh, And also, if you you look at uh, how days were counted, uh, in, in scripture, it's actually from sunset to sunset. Uh, so that's how days are. So, so technically, the Sabbath then falls biblically on, uh, on Friday evening. So it'd be Friday Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. And this is a moment where God says, I will be uh, with you. And now I know there's a lot of contention around the Sabbath, whether you're actually supposed to keep it on Saturday or or what, and, that, uh, and we know that in Christ this is fulfilled, in that Christ is our Sabbath rest. But nonetheless, there is a moment in time where God says, I will specifically uh, meet with you there. And again, it's, it's on this weekly day. Um, and again, this is to kind of train our hearts to be aware of the Lord on a weekly basis. And so that as we go into our work, we go from a place of rest. We don't go from a place of striving but we know that it's God that keeps us, it's God that provides us. It's not our jobs, it's not our salaries, but it's God that keeps and sustains us in everything that we do. And that's part of what we do when we rest in the Lord and we stop and pause from the work of our hands. Uh, so the first one, we jump, I'll jump uh, straight in. So the feasts were separated into spring and autumn. Uh, autumn appointed times. You had four that, that came in the spring and then uh, another three that came in the autumn. And, uh, and uh, these were, had to do with the agricultural uh, society that, that Israel was a part of and had to do with all their harvest seasons and everything kind of coincided with that. And uh, these were also what was required was that three times a year, that the men in the household would have to go on a pilgrimage to all the way to the temple in Israel. So no matter where you're living around Israel, you'd have to get on your horse, your donkey, whatever it was, and head towards Israel. So it would be in these three, three times across the, the, the year that they would journey there, and they would be on, this, on these pilgrimages. Um, and so in Genesis 12, there's a promise that God gives to Abraham. And uh, he says that through you, all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth should, will be blessed through the family of, of Abraham. And that's an important promise to, to, to kind of just keep up here in your box, is that God makes that promise to Abraham that through him all through his family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then we know Abraham uh, had, the, had a son. His son was Isaac. Isaac had uh, uh, sons. Uh, one of his sons was uh, Jacob, and uh, Jacob had many sons, uh, kind of like me, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so so Jacob uh, then took his sons. There was famine in in Canaan where they were living, and uh, God sent them into Egypt. And in Egypt, uh, the family started off just as the family of of Jacob. Uh, Jacob was was known as the first identified as the first Hebrew, uh, sorry, Abraham was, uh, and then they, uh, he entered uh, Egypt, and they were fruitful, and they multiplied significantly, and as the story goes, in Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh uh, was then threatened by the Israelites, oh, sorry, the, the Hebrews, and, uh, and they, because they were so large in number, and then he, he subjugated them, and he, he put them in slavery, and they cried out to, to, to the Lord. And this was after 430 years. Uh, Lord then came and he said that he would deliver them. And he sent Moses to help deliver them. And uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, who's the person that was the slave master or, or, or keeping the Israelites. And he says, God says, uh, you must let the people go so that they can, so that they can go worship. Let my people go. It wasn't just let my people go. So that they can have a good time, but so that they could worship. So their freedom was so so that they could worship. Anyway, in Exodus 6, you get a story where God says, the the four, they call the four I will statements. Where God steps into the story and he says, "I uh, I will call you out, I will rescue you, I will redeem you, and I will make you my people and I will be your God. And the thing to note with those statements is that God says he will. He does the calling out. He does the, uh, the, the delivering. He does the redeeming. And he does the forming us into his people so that we can worship him. And that's an important thing is to know that God makes the first move. And God calls us out. And, uh, and so that happens. And then, the, and then we get what, what, uh, what we have now as the Passover, which is the first... Uh, series of feasts that uh, that I want to talk about. So in that moment, uh, God is raining judgment over Egypt, over their gods, uh, over their leaders, and He rains a whole bunch of plagues over them. You can read that in, in the book of Exodus. And then in Exodus twelve, He then comes with the final plague, and He says that He's going to bring death and judgment on the firstborn of every uh, of uh, of every household, every Every child, every animal, uh, that the firstborn uh, shall die; that the death shall come. However, if the Israelites smear, slaughter uh, a lamb, and they put on the door po- po- uh, doorposts of their, of their homes, then death shall pass over. And that's where we get the, the Passover. Sorry, just backtrack a little. So you have those spring feasts, which is the Passover, and you have Feast of Unleavened Bread, which are, which are together. And then you have Feast of first fruits, and they all kind of merge into each other. Uh, but those are called kind of the Passover Feasts. And then there's a little break, and then there's the Feast of, of Weeks or Pentecost. All right, going back to the Passover. So the requirement of the Passover for death to, to Passover, uh, for them to be exempt from death was that they'd have to slaughter a lamb and then smear the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their, of their homes. And again, the main thing there is that they were saved by the blood. They were saved. If, if God saw the blood on their home, they were uh, saved by the blood. Death would pass over, hence the, the name of, um, of the, the, the feast. And, uh, and also a very specific thing was the how that lamb was to be prepared. The lamb was not to be boiled or eaten uh, raw. I don't know if they did do that, but it would be weird. Um, and, uh, and also it, was, it wasn't supposed to be chopped up. It was supposed to be eaten whole and roasted over the fire. That was how the, the lamb was supposed to be prepared. And so we see all these things uh, fulfilled again in Messiah Jesus, which is what all this is essentially about. In uh, John 1.29, this is uh, in reference to John the Baptist seeing Jesus Christ for the first time. And he says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John pointed out Jesus to be that very Passover lamb that the Passover festival was all about. Also in John 19, 14 to 16, excuse me. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, sorry, this was um, Pilate uh, Pilate, Pilate. Preparation of Passover, it was the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king, pointing to Jesus. They cried out, Away with him, away with them, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So again, pointing to the fact it was on Passover that Jesus Christ was crucified because he was the Passover lamb. Then what came directly with the pass a meal was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, something that accompanied some of these feasts was something called a, a Sabbath. So you had the traditional Sabbath that would happen uh, Friday evening to Saturday evening. But then along with these feasts, you would have other Sabbaths that would take place. These were, were, were considered, uh, they're called high Sabbaths, as in like special Sabbaths. So these would fall in different parts of the week. And so with unleavened bread, it also had one of these Sabbaths that, that, uh, that accompanied it. And again, it was a moment where people were to eat, just to chill, and just to rest in what the Lord had done. And uh, so the significance of unleavened bread, sorry, so some of the things uh, that they were to do in celebrating this uh, feast was to remove all leaven from their home. Leaven is yeast and uh, leaven uh, biblically represents sin or decay. And so part of celebrating the feast is that you're supposed to go around your home looking for leaven and looking for anything with yeast in it and removing it from your home. And kind of what it represents is, is looking for anything that may be sinful or offensive to the Lord. And you're kind of searching. It's like the Holy Spirit searching your heart, searching your home to look for anything that may be displeasing to the Lord. And so that's the idea of kind of going in your home and searching. It's like really introspecting and, uh, and, and, and looking, hey, God, search me. Search me and see if there's anything in me that's, that's displeasing to you. And that, uh, that's part of the practice. And so then you're also supposed to eat, um, uh, to not eat bread with leaven. So uh, not eat bread that rises in any way. But you're actually to eat bread uh, that is unleavened. And then this feast would happen over seven days. And, uh, and a significant part of this is that you're supposed to tell your children about it. Uh, discipleship starts in the family, in the home. It's the responsibility of the mothers and fathers to teach the children about the ways of the Lord. And so this was part of a key part of the celebration. And so uh, another thing when we look at Paul makes reference to this in uh, 1 Corinthians 5 7 to 8. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So a little sin works throughout. You know, so you can say you can't just say, Ah, oh, it's just a little bit of sin. He says that ah just that little bit begins to work work throughout the whole lump. And so we can't take sin lightly. And says, Cleanse out all the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that, man, we need to clear up all that junk so that we can walk in, in, uh, in, in wholeness and truth in Christ Jesus. And so when you actually look at this, this is a, uh, what unleavened bread uh, look like. It's known as matzo. And so this represents the body of, the body of Jesus, and it's also known as the bread of affliction. And so representing, so when Jesus even broke it and he said, you know, take, this is my body broken for you. He was speaking of, 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 of this, this uh, unleavened bread. So this is also spoken about in Isaiah 58, where he says he was bruised for our trans- transgressions. He was uh, wounded for our iniquities. He was pierced for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace uh, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed, right? So if you actually look at a piece of matzo or how it's traditionally prepared, it's got like little holes in it because he was pierced for our transgressions. And you see, I don't know if you can see it from here, but like, it's got like bruising brown spots uh, all over it. That's how it's prepared. It speaks about him being bruised for us. And then if you see how, you'll see it actually has stripes that go down it because by his stripes we are healed. So again, it was a foreshadow of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Are you still with me? All right. And the power of uh, unleavened bread also was that it was freedom from the power of sin and death. Freedom from the power of sin and death. So with the Passover lamb, they were delivered uh, out of Egypt. But, but the, the unleavened bread speaks of freedom from the power of sin and death. And so that we can walk in that power as we uh, partake in that unleavened bread, Amen. All right, I do like Amen. So, <laughs> all right, next one. So, so the next one that will come, that follows straight after that is first fruits, and first fruits comes the day, the morning after the Sabbath. All right, it's going to make sense just now. All right, so what was required with first fruits is that. First fruit was for the barley harvest. And so first fruit, what it represented is that whenever, um, I don't know if you guys maybe have a lemon tree or or some sort of fruit tree, there's always those that that ripen first. And uh, so those represent the first fruit. The first fruits represent those first fruit that bud. And uh, and so they were required then to take them in and offer them in the temple. And uh, so you take the first and you give that to the Lord. And it's simply the, the, the idea that you're trusting God for the rest of the harvest. Because anything can happen from the first time you take those, those fir, first little budding uh, fruit. It uh, can happen. The rain can happen. The hail can happen and destroy your harvest. But in doing so, you're just saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to give the first to you. I'm going to trust you to, to give the fullness of the harvest. So it's essentially at the heart of that is just trusting the Lord for the harvest is that hey it's not about you it's not about taking care of yourself first but giving to the lord first and trusting the lord for the fullness of the harvest to come are you with me all right and so it was also part of thanksgiving so what they would do would they bring the barley and then they'd hand it to the to the priest and then the priest would then do a wave offering so whenever you read wave offering in scriptures this is this kind of vibe you know They'd take the, the barley and then they'd wave it before it as an offering to the Lord. <laughs> and a significant thing is that also they couldn't partake of it until they'd given to the priests. So the priests had to have first. And if you, if you you'd know in Scripture, the priests weren't allowed to own land. And so they couldn't work the land like everyone else could. So the first to benefit from the work of people's hands was the, the priests. And then also part of the first fruits is that you're also supposed to give to the poor. All right, this is quite a significant one. Because as you uh, harvested your field, you weren't allowed to harvest all of it. You needed to leave the edges so that the poor, the foreigner, the widow could come and eat and glean. They call it the gleaning. And so that they could also be taken care of. So important thing to note of that, which has really challenged me, is that we as churches can have ministries that minister to the poor. However, we as individual believers also have an individual responsibility to care for the poor. All right. Did, did you get that? We have a personal responsibility because it was people's field. Because there was another harvest that was taken for, to, the, to the temple and the temple they would distribute to the poor. But also you, in your little bit, in your little income, you need to make margin for the poor, to care for those who do not have, and that's the father's—that's um, the father's heart. Yowza. time. All right. Uh, first fruits. First uh, Corinthians, fifteen twenty. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been who have fallen asleep. For as by a man. Uh, came death by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead for as adam all died so also in christ all shall be made alive but each in his own order christ is the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to christ so it says christ is actually the the first fruits so remember all these things actually speak about jesus and what jesus did all right so so here's a question i i, I have for us is we celebrate, uh, I guess in our common church culture, we celebrate Good Friday, right? We celebrate Good Friday, and then on Sunday, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Are you familiar with that, right? So I've, I've always been in trouble with that because it's like we know that Jesus spent three days and three nights, yeah? And then it's like, okay, if, it's, if he died on Friday then how is it, where's the three days and three nights? Has anyone ever wondered about that? All right. (laughs) Or I want to give you a a solution to that. So if you look at that, uh, the next one. Is Passover, actually what, what would have happened Jesus' day coincided with our calendar today. And so Passover So again, remember that the day was counted from evening to, from sunset to sunset. Okay. So Passover would have been on on the Wednesday. Jesus would have died on Wednesday before the sunset. So if you remember the scriptures, they had to take him down because there was a Sabbath coming. So it wasn't the Saturday Sabbath. It was actually the, the high Sabbath. Are you with me? All right. And then... First fruit then always comes the morning after the Sabbath. And so resurrection, Jesus being our first fruit, he rose to life. It would have been on Saturday evening, which meant Sunday or Sunday morning. Does that make sense? So he would have died on Wednesday. He was buried when the feast of unleavened bread. Bread. Remember, Jesus' body was without sin. Unleavened bread represents a body without Sin, so he was buried on the feast of start of the feast of unleavened bread, and he was raised to life at feast of first fruits because he's the first raised from the dead. Are you with me? Isn't that powerful? Come on, Jesus. Okay, and then after that, you would have the feast of weeks, or known as Pentecost. Pentecost means fiftieth, and so how you would get there is that as soon as the feast of first fruits begin, you start counting the omer. And you count seven weeks. So every day you count. You take a little stick and you set it aside until you get to 50 of those. And when you get to 50 of those, hey, it's Pentecost. It's the next feast. And again, it's another harvest feast. But now, unlike, uh, unlike first fruit, which was the barley harvest, uh, Pentecost or Shavuot or Feast of weeks is the wheat harvest. And... Um, Yeah, is the is the week harvest and part of this feast is that they were to count the omer, like I said, every day leading to that that uh, that um, uh, the fiftieth day or the seventh week. Again, it was another pilgrimage, so they had to leave their homes and head to 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 Israel. I mean, to Jerusalem. Again, it was a Sabbath. It was a day to chill, rest from your work. Again, it was a, a feast. You're actually supposed to rejoice, as in like a party sponsored by the Lord himself. Like God commands you to rejoice. Like he commands them, celebrate, eat, have a good time. Right? And the people say, Jesus is boring. Guys, can you imagine a party sponsored by the Lord? Ah. And then again, you to give to the poor. And uh, and uh, and rejoice and rejoice. And uh, so this day actually commemorated the giving of the Torah, uh, the Torah which was God's commandments. Uh, Torah actually means teaching or instruction. It doesn't mean law, as we often know it. It was God's way of teaching Israel how to love Him and how to love each other. Uh, and it did have, it does have laws within it. And uh, so it was to commemorate the God giving Israel uh, his Torah. And then we see a cool thing in the gathering of the the wheat. We see a cool thing happening in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Uh, From heaven and a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. That the Spirit gave them utterance. And then, so we know, if you continue to read in Exodus, uh, sorry, in, in Acts two, uh, you find that the disciples were speaking in languages of different people that were represented there: Jews uh, and uh, Gentiles from different nations heard these guys uttering the works of God in their own languages. And then we know that Peter then stood up in boldness and proclaimed the gospel to them. And it said that uh, on that day, 3,000 were saved. Now, so this, the power in this thing, in this, uh, in, in, this, in this kind of moment, in this festival, is that God gave them the Torah. And then God's uh, promise to Israel was that there was going to be a day where he's going to write his laws. So he's going to write his Torah on their hearts. In Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 11 also speaks about that. And so on the one day, you have the Torah given, and then when the Holy Spirit comes, you have the Holy Spirit coming to write God's laws on people's hearts so that they could walk in God's ways, right? And the significance of them speaking in different languages and different tongues is that it's a start of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that through Abraham's family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, right? And at the moment where they gathered, the nations have gathered in Jerusalem to, to, to celebrate this feast, and all these people get to know the Lord in that and are filled with the Holy Spirit, saying that, hey, the gospel, the Torah, God's instructions, God's ways are supposed to go to all the nations. And so again, we see God's promises being fulfilled there. And then there's a a bit of a gap. So you have these kind of four feasts, and then there's a bit of a gap, and then we enter into the autumn uh, feasts. And the first one, and so all these feasts, all these have been fulfilled by Jesus our Messiah, and all these are still to be fulfilled by Jesus in his coming. And so the first one is the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, again, this one, it's a pilgrimage, so they have to leave their homes. Again, there's a Sabbath, chill, rest in the Lord. And here you're called to make a joyful noise, as in you're supposed to celebrate. You know when we sing songs, make a joyful noise to the Lord? This is what it's referring to. When we say, shout to the Lord, all the earth, this is what it's referring to. It's, a, it's the redeemed rejoicing in the Lord and in what He has done. And on the other side, you're supposed to blow the shofar, right? I'm at the right church here, <laughs> And again, significance of the shofar is, uh, is, is one, it's a call to battle. It's a battle call. It's a battle cry. And it's also an alarm. So on the one end, it's a shout of joy for those that are redeemed. On the other hand, it's a battle cry and a warning, and alarm to those that are not redeemed. To say, Jesus is coming. All right, so we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry. With a call from one of the ruling angels and with God's shofar, those who died united with Messiah will be part of the, the rise, first to rise. And when we who are left still alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. So encourage each other with these words. And so, so it speaks of this, is that for those that know Jesus, it's a celebration. It's a shout It's a shout of joy. of Yes, he has come back. He has come back to take us, uh, we the redeemed. But for those who do not know Jesus, it's a warning sign to repent, to turn to the Lord. And uh, thereafter, what follows that is 10 days until the next feast uh, or the next appointed time, which is the day of atonement. And those 10 days are known as the days of awe. Where you 're supposed to reflect and consider what is to come, which is the day of atonement, which is a day known I guess commonly as as judgment day, is again to reflect to introspect uh, and uh, the requirements of that is that again it 's another Sabbath uh, that that one is to keep, and then you to afflict your soul, which essentially means uh, often people think it means to fast, but it actually just means to to uh, check your soul, your, your, your nafesh. Nefesh means throat, but it actually means your whole being. And again, it's a moment of, God, thank you for what you've done. You know, walking in God's ways and, uh, and giving thanks for his mercy and his, and his, uh, and his goodness. And then again, uh, there also the priest would offer up a sacrifice. It would be a bull and, uh, and two goats. And, uh, and they would pray over the, the one goat and they would release it and it was called the scapegoat. And that's where we get the English term, you know, hey, someone is a scapegoat. So, so they'd pray and pray their sins, that the sins of the nation over that goat and the, the sins of the nation would be imputed onto that goat and then would be released. And so essentially it's also it's considered the most holy day in the calendar where the high priest where the only day the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would then make intercession or represent the nation before the Lord in the presence of God. So it's all got to do with the ministry of the high priest. If the high priest uh, fumbled and did something wrong, then the, the sins of the nation wouldn't be covered or, or forgiven. Right? So everything kind of hung on the high priest. So he even had to make a sacrifice for himself before he could enter in, just to make sure everything is clean. Everything is right, him and God are good, and so it all hangs on the high priest and so we read in Hebrews nine, Christ has entered not only not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So Christ is our mediator, Christ is our, our high priest, and so we have confidence in him because he cannot fumble, he cannot. Do wrong, and he is the perfect mediator for us, so we can just put our hope and our trust in him to mediate for us. And then the final uh, feast is the feast of Tabernacles or Booths, and this is represented by the tent here. And again, this was also another Sabbath, and uh, they were called to live in the tent, as in you're supposed to spend the whole week in, in this guy. And it's uh, and it's uh, again another feast. And the significance of this was that it was the final harvest, as in everything had been gathered by the time you got to the the tabernacle. So the barley harvest had been gathered. So the wheat harvest had been gathered. And the final gathering was actually a gathering of a grape harvest as well. So that's why it was a massive, massive, massive celebration. And so you're to dwell in your tent. And the tent is symbolic of uh, a temporary shelter or a temporary covering to realize that life is temporary and actually God is your shelter, God is your covering and that you don't depend on your house and your electric fence on your whatever it may be but that God is the one that keeps, shields you and sustains you throughout and allows you, sustains you even through the work of your hands and that you eat the, the, the harvest and you enjoy the harvest in that, and uh so read this last scripture. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it only on, uh, we may not be found uh, naked. or oh, I left. All right, almost there. Uh, so again it's just this idea that that life is temporary that you know in this in this world that we have right now it's challenging right but hey this isn't where it ends is that God is going to give us a new tent there's still something more to come and then it also speaks of uh, the eighth day where God will make all things new and so when we dwell in this tent for a week it just reminds us Hey, hang in there. We're pilgrims. We're journeying. The Lord is with us. The Lord is keeping us. The Lord is sustaining us. The Lord is protecting us. And the Lord will make all things new. Wipe away our tears. Take away these groanings. That, that day is, uh, is, uh, is still to come. All right. So the, the beauty of this is that, uh, I believe I almost spoke about this, is that God wraps all this stuff up in the calendar. God is not just about speaking to people, but he wants people to experience these things. You know, when when we talk about liturgy, liturgy, it's not just about appealing to your brain, to your mind, but, but about worshiping God with every part of your being, your heart, your soul, your strength. That's what God wants. Our whole beings to be imbued by him. Our whole beings directed towards loving him, that whatever it is that we think, whatever it is that we say, whatever it is that we do reflects who he is. And so that's why this is all wrapped up in doing things, going places, eating things, rejoicing, making noises, so that our whole beings are enveloped by what God wants us to do and who God is. We're constantly being reminded by this. It's not just a moment, but it's moments. We're, we're, We're organizing our calendars around these things. We're organizing our budgets around these things. We're organizing our economies around these things so that our lives are filled with these reminders of who God, of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is still to do. Are you with me? All right. So even in this, the gospel is proclaimed through these festivals, through these appointed times. We know that first, we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. We are saved. Remember, it is God that pulls us out, but it is by the blood of the Lamb that we are saved that we are saved from death, that death passes over us, then we know that from that deliverance we're then called to live a life uh, free of sin and free of death. God has given us the power to overcome by His body the power of sin and death. And thereafter, we're reminded that though we moan and groan in this body today, Jesus, we have the hope of resurrection life in Jesus Christ. So we have to look forward to Res, resurrection, uh, Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Colossians, when Paul writes that, he's speaking about resurrection life. That is the hope of glory that we have. Then we know that we have the Holy Spirit to then, uh, we're filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in the ways of the Lord, walk according to God's commands and God's instruction in, in ways that are pleasing to the Lord. And then we know that there will be a time when Jesus comes back. And we'll hear the sound of the trumpet. For those of us who are in Christ, it will be rejoicing. For those of us that are not in Christ, it will be a time of mourning and a time, hopefully, of repentance. Where you'll turn your heart towards Jesus as, a, as the Messiah. And then we know that on uh, Judgment Day, for those that have put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah and, and the blood of the Lamb that they will be exempt from that judgment. But those that do, haven't put their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, they will have to account for their own sin, which means judgment. For those that we know that thereafter, Jesus will make all things new. The harvest will be in. All the nations will be gathered together uh, to bring glory to the Lamb that was slain. Amen? So this is the power in these... in these. Uh, in, uh, in these feasts is that they point to Messiah. They're all about Messiah. These weren't just weird things that Israel did or God uh, instituted these, uh, told these, these people to do, but God was constantly speaking his story through these meals, through these festivals, through these observances. And so today... My prayer for us is that we would be found as those who have put their hope and their faith in Messiah. So that when the time comes and the trumpet sounds, that for us it is rejoicing. And it is not mourning and it is not weeping.